This evening, I would invite you to turn in your Bibles uh, to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12. I'm closing out this 25-part series. I can't tell you as someone with serious OCD how pleasing it is to end on a number like 25. Are you one of those people that if you have a number on the temperature gauge in your car, it either has to be on 5, 10, 15, or 20? Well, I hope your car doesn't go to 5. I guess I mean the volume knob. (laughs) That would be some air conditioning if it went to 25. Um, It has to be on a certain number. So even when I'm preparing these sermons and I get to 25, I think, all right, I can close. (laughs) Strange how that works. It's been, I hope, an edifying, encouraging. It is the word of God, and so it never returns void. Uh, But I do hope it's been significant. It has been for me. I realize the shortcomings, not only of my own wisdom as a minister, but as a father, as a husband. As I move through the book of Ecclesiastes, like many things, I have had the aperture of my eyes in the sight of things opened through this book. As Solomon closes out this writing, as he is writing to his people and to the church, he would leave us with the conclusion of everything. Uh, And that is what he has for us this evening, and I would invite you to listen as I read Ecclesiastes chapter 12, beginning in verse 9. And moreover, because the preacher, or Kohelet, he's referring to himself, was wise... He still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought. He sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find acceptable words, and what was written was upright, words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. And further, my son, be admonished, that means corrected, by these Of making many books there is no end, and much study is wearisome to the flesh. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let me pray for the blessing of the preaching of it. Lord... Help us to understand our all, to fear you and keep your commandments, and may we do so cheerfully. With glad and eager hearts, we pray in your name. Amen. Uh, If you know anything of modern movie making, it's always the third act they get wrong. That's because secularists don't know how to preach. They have nothing to say. They can steal good stories, but they can't finish good stories. Because good stories always, always, always reflect upon timeless, eternal principles that God has woven into the fabric of all things. And when you have a writer who closes his eyes and shuts his ears to the truth, he doesn't know how to finish. And Solomon is not one of those men. Now Solomon, for sure, was at points in his life someone that you would not say to your son, hey, be like the king, although that's the world in which we live, right? the reality TV star. Solomon certainly lived a rebellious life, but as 
he approached his old age, there was some repentance, and I would argue that this book is written after Solomon had tried it all, and he is writing to us like a parent says to a child, son, daughter, fear God and keep his commands. Now, your kids may say to you, well, you did X, and I would say to you, yeah, but you shouldn't. But dad... And I would say to you, it is out of love that I point you in the opposite direction. It is out of compassion for your soul that you avoid the pitfalls of those who even came before you. Just like we don't reinvent the theological wheel generation after generation, but we confess with men like Athanasius and the Westminster Confession and three forms of unity and all of these wonderful, glorious creeds and confessions, what we are doing is we are building For generations to come, wisdom for the ages so that they may lean upon those things and hang their hat upon those things and be chastised and admonished and corrected and led by those things. So give it to me straight. That is what we ought to say at the end of every book. And here Solomon gives it to us straight. Three things that I want to say. First, setting things in order. I think you have this in your In your bulletin and outline, setting things in order, seeing wisdom as goads and nails. And then thirdly, the summation of the matter. Let's look at the first one, setting things in order. Solomon is, like many do, maybe even at the end of their life, though he's not at the end of his life, he's at the end of a book, he is putting things, he is summarizing them, he is drawing them to conclusion, and he is organizing them well. Now, if you're anything like me, if you have read through the book of Proverbs, the hardest thing to do is organize it well. It is a veritable encyclopedia of wisdom statements. And they can be, from time to time, difficult to organize, because is that not the inclination of our hearts? Give me multiplication, but put it in a table. Give me grammar, but let me diagram a sentence. And for me, when I see a sentence that, I loved sentence diagramming because I understood the parts. It's like breaking a machine down or those pictures. I think I've mentioned it before. Some of these old popular mechanics magazines where you would have like a a V6 engine, but everything is kind of disconnected and exploded from one another. And then you have the little lines where all the parts would go if it were to be brought back together. And I would just stare at those things. And I would look at them and go, I think I get it. (laughs) But if you were to tell me how it works, I would not understand So for someone like me, I want to say, just give it to me straight. Tell me the first thing that I need to know. And he begins the book the same way he ends the book. Fear God and keep his commands. And so the challenge with the Proverbs is order. It's structure that's balancing what often feels like those calendars that you you pull off every day. That's how the Proverbs feel. Well, they're not that disunified. But there are times where we cannot hold on to those things well. And so what Solomon is doing is he is taking all of wisdom literature. And he is taking all of the wisdom of God revealed to man. And he is summarizing it in this way. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is man's all. And so when the... 
The Westminster divines were writing the Westminster standards, and they asked the question, what is the chief end of man? What is man's all? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him, which is just another way of saying to fear God and keep his commandments. These setting things in order make all the difference in your life and in the lives of your young children and in the lives of the young people in this church. And to those immature, either believers or those who are outside the church, you can go to them and say, I have a one-page track. Here it is. Fear God and keep his commandments. Well, how do I do that? Through Christ's righteousness alone. You begin by confessing your sin, you receive Christ's righteousness as your own, and then you embark upon a lifelong journey of fearing God and keeping his commandments. And there's always something new. There's always something fresh. There's always a next step. There's always something to learn. There's always some emotion, some idol to kill. But what really settles all things is what we have here. It is this statement that we have in verse 14, 13 and 14. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For, here's a reason, God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Whoa. Now, that is, if 13 is sort of the straight, 14 is the right hook that comes across. Solomon gives it to us straight, and then he tells us the reason for which we are to fear God and keep his commandments is because God is judge of all the earth. Now, we'll get to that in greater detail in just a moment. But what really settles all things is the infallible judgment of God that you and I cannot escape, that every man is aware of, that creates two responses, either fear that is worship and reverence or fear that is terror and hatred. Romans 1. Every man knows that there is a God, but they do not worship him as God. But then there are those who have encountered the true and living God and they have embraced him as their Lord, their Savior and their Lord. And what sets all things in order is a right knowledge of man and a right knowledge of God. In fact, in the preface to John Calvin's Institutes of Christian Religion, this was the point he made. All knowledge begins with a knowledge of man, biblical anthropology, and a knowledge of God, biblical theology. This is how we teach our young people. Know yourself. Know God. Now, the way we do this is we learn, we read the scriptures. And the scriptures has much to say on these issues. But the moral system that the Christian upholds and adheres to is one that is biblically derived because it contains, it is, God's revelation to men for life and for godliness. And so as Solomon is setting things in order, he wants to give us the plumb line. Have you ever hung sheetrock? I'm asking someone in my church to help me hang sheetrock. But I know this much. You set a plumb. Your wall may not be straight, but you still have to hang the sheetrock plumb, which means completely vertical. And so you take this chalk line with this heavy anchor, and you hold it up, and you 
stop it from swaying, then you put your foot on the anchor and then you pop the line and you get a true vertical line. When we open the scriptures, we take that line, we pull it out, we pop it, like when we do a confession of faith in the evening, and then we look and go, oof, I need to move a little to the right. I need to move a little to the left. I need my life to get in line with what God calls plumb. <laughs> Elijah's over there shaking his head yes, like, amen, brother. <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> Your parents are like, plumb is way over here, brother. <laughs> the Lord has taught me that many times. I love it. What are we living for? We are living for the well done of the one who says, this is good. This is right. And so what really settles all things is God's judgment. It is his revelation and what we do with it. It's God's order. We adapt to it. We live in it. We ought to strive to love it. And when we do that, we will be blessed. Now, that does not mean, do not hear me say this, the health and wealth prosperity gospel that there is a one-to-one relationship between obedience and the boat parked outside in your driveway or in the lake, or whatever it may be. If I do X, then God is constrained to do Y. But what God does in his word time and time again, even in the book of Ecclesiastes, is he challenges our notions of providence and sovereignty, and he reminds us time and again, you are not God. And there are times where God brings suffering in the lives of those whom he loves in order to teach us to fear God and to keep his commandments. And even if we do not prosper in the way that the world calls prosperity, do you know what the blessing of a clean conscience is? To go to bed without guilt? It's a gift. And it's not a gift that comes by running from the reality of God, but embracing all that God says is true and bending the knee to Jesus and saying, I am a sinner and I am undone. And what Christ says in the gospel is, all who come to me, I will cast none of them off. Because if the Lord is working in your heart to surrender to his will, what he is faithful to do is to teach you. And to correct you. And we must not be tempted by what the world says is the proper order. And as I said this morning, and there was a lot left to say, I, I, I looked at the phone and I went, oh man. Uh, as believers, we can, look, we can look at what the world says is good And we can know in our hearts, this is wretched, but there are times when the allurement of the world is powerful. And we just sometimes are so tired of fighting, we don't want to fight anymore, and we just want people to like us. And we often compromise when that's the case. But as the preacher here in verse 9 is writing, and as he's teaching knowledge, and he's pondering, and he's seeking out, and he's setting into order all of these proverbs... He says what they are in terms of how they affect our lives and then what they lead to. They lead to the fear of God and the keeping of his commandments. 
such that I would say this in conclusion of the first point. You obey who you fear. You obey who you fear. Or your behavior is radically altered by what you fear. What does the world fear? The melting of the polar ice caps. Right? They fear disease, famine. They fear foreign nations. They are constantly creating things to fear. Do you know why? It is a satanic distraction from the true reverence and fear of the Lord. Because if you're fearing man, you cannot fear God. You're distracted. You're distracted from it. And so at the end of all of it, and at the beginning, and everything through the middle, the very sum and substance of the Christian life is fear God and keep his commandments. Now, secondly, seeing wisdom as goads and nails. What is a goad? A goad is a stick. And you all know what a nail is. Here Solomon refers to the words of the wise as a rod. And it is a rod in the hands of a shepherd. And as soon as you hear shepherd and rod... What other work of wisdom literature do you think of? Perhaps the most famous chapter in the whole Bible, Psalm 23. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. What is a shepherd's rod used for? And who is it used against? It is used for two reasons, and it is used against two creatures. The rod predominantly was used against the sheep to guide them in the way that they should go. Rarely was it used against predators, but it was. David used a sling, but you know, if you got a stick on hand, a nice hardy staff, it can also be used against lions and goats and bears. A goad, the words of the wise, are like a goad for a person. It's a stick or rod that is used to drive our hearts. Now, children, when you hear stick and you hear discipline, what do you think of? Daddy, don't spank me. Do you think that? How many? How many? Right? Why can't you just say, Dad, I know I messed up. I'm ready to receive my punishment. Has anyone ever said that in the history of the world? In fact, you do come to the point where you treasure, whether or not you know it, not in a a sort of masochistic way, but you treasure the discipline, even of your parents, for you know it is evidence of their love, their faithful commitment to your upbringing. And the Proverbs have a lot to say about rods and discipline. God through the wisdom and the wise words of those who are wise, drives us in the way of righteousness. Preaching is one of those means. There are other lower means of grace, like the faithful ministry of parents and the shepherding of parents, the shepherding of your, anyone who is a superior, who is guiding you in the way that you should go. We need guidance. I need guidance. And the testimony that I need guidance is because I don't love the rod, the goad, like I should. And I don't appreciate it when it's there. When I experience the goad, what is, well, I know what my, what is yours? I didn't do anything wrong. What are you doing? Lord, I'm good. 
There is a, an expression of self-righteousness, of incredulity, like, uh, surely no, it's not me that did something wrong. I'm okay. What Solomon is saying is, all men need shepherds, for all men and women, children, are sheep. We are all in need of the shepherd's staff for discipline and for deliverance. These are the gifts of the good shepherd. Do you wish to walk in faithfulness? Prepare for the rod. And not just as an individual, but as a corporate body. What do you think the church has been going through for two years, if not the rod? This is the way you should go, church. Do not neglect the assembly of believers. Be careful the men, the shepherds that you have, who you listen to, Walk in faithfulness all your days. Let the Lord lead you. Do not reject the rod. Embrace it. We all need guidance, tutelage, correctness. Here, admonishment. Admonishment is an unpleasant discipline. I remember years ago, I was an intern at Matthew's OPC. I was 20-something How many years ago was it? I was a grown man who took great pride in the things that I did. And I remember one time Pastor Trice set me down as gently as he could, and he's a gentle man, and said, Joby, I'm disappointed in you. (laughs) Wham! I mean, it, it was soft, but it hit hard. The rod, the goad. And you know what I never did? The thing for which I was admonished by him. I better not ever do that again. The Lord is faithful to discipline us. And that discipline is for our good. And what he was doing in my life was endeavoring. Do you know how hard it is to apply the rod to someone? It was difficult for him, but what resulted from that was a a changed life. It was, all right, I need to make sure I don't do that thing again. And it stuck with me. Not only is it a goad, the wisdom of the wise, the words of the wise, but the words of scholars, that is learned men, people who have gone through the gauntlet of experience are like well-driven nails. When we would build things as a kid, my dad would use these cement-coated nails, the ones that are yellow, that when you drive them, they don't come out. And if you were to try to deconstruct what you constructed, you would tear it to pieces. There's no way to separate two two two-by-fours that are brought together with a 16-penny cement-coated nail. Christ in the gospel says the righteous man builds his house upon the rock. Here Solomon says... The wisdom of scholars are like nails that hold the house together. They're driven deep, and they are strong. If you wish to be a strong house, then the thing that holds you together must be the words of wisdom. Otherwise, you're just a house of cards. Look at the culture that we've created. It cannot survive a microscopic virus. The weakness, 
of the psyche of the modern man is astounding. It is utterly astounding how weak and fragile we have become. And you know why? Because we are utterly self-centered. Recently, I was building something in my shop. Uh, Heath was helping me. We're building an arbor for their wedding in which we will hang flowers, and we're going to stand in front of it, and you'll see it, those of you who are coming to the wedding. And I I didn't do a great job. Um, I had to cut six 60-degree angles in half. So I really had to cut 12 30-degree angles because it's hexagonal, and that creates a 360-degree circle. Well, when you're using a speed square, um, if you're off a little bit, Mike's back there laughing, he can't see me, but he can hear me. <laughs> and his eyes are close, and he's like, oh, you fool. Just a little bit off creates, and man, those first five joints were beautiful. And then Heath and I are through, and they're going, if you just, just push it together, and then if you can get the screw in, it'll, it'll hold. Um, it's It's together. And I think it looks pretty good. Nothing that a little bit of stain won't fix, right? This is how we think of morality. Uh, we do not give to God uh, the responsibility to construct us in such a way that we resemble the pattern of Christ's righteousness. And as I'm building this arbor and doing you know, a pretty good job, I guess. At least the half, the second part of it was pretty good. Ellie is over there gathering all of these pieces of wood and making her own thing. And she's sort of drawing on them and constructing them. And what she makes is what you would expect a seven-year-old to build. And in our society, that's about as good as we've come up with. Right? Nails have split the wood. It's all falling to pieces. It isn't in line with the true revelation of Scripture. And we say, that's good enough. But Solomon reminds us that God will bring every work into judgment. What Solomon is providing for us is the motivation, the reason for why we should listen to righteous wisdom Because it makes you, it leads you in the way that you should go. And it builds a house that is a metaphor for your life. It builds a house that is strong and stable and can withstand the storms, every wind and wave of doctrine. God's order is the great order. And we should be shaped then by revelation. We're to be a people shaped not by wishful thinking, not by alchemy, some invention of morality, but to submit humbly to God's word. Now, many people think to be a man or woman of the word makes us stiff. But the most adaptable, cheerful, easygoing people I've ever met are the holiest people. They laugh. They laugh at the days that are to come. Proverbs 31. What is a Proverbs 31 woman? Well, she looks at the future and she goes, I can withstand it all. 
I have learned to be content in all things, Paul says. I've learned to be poor. I've learned to be rich. I've learned to have good health, bad health, to be in prison, to be free. Why? Because I fear God and keep his commandments. I do not fear men. Because we are anchored to Christ. And though we may be buffeted on every side, a man or woman, a child who fears God and keeps his commands, they're stable and they're strong. And do you know what happens in those times when the winds buffet and blow? People will run to the righteous and they will say to them, what, gives you for the, what, get, what reason do you have for the hope that is within you? And you can say, Christ Jesus and his righteousness. Because I know God and he knows me. So what's the summation of the matter in close? Put God at the center. That's fear God. To possess holy reverence and awe. This is a state of love and devotion. Let me put it this way, children. Whenever someone offers you an opportunity to do something, what should you always do first when it comes to mom and dad? Hey, dad, can I go? That's fearing your parents. Everything you engage in in life, you should say, Lord, is this righteous? Is this good? He has your attention. You run for his pleasure. Mm. You run for his pleasure. Before anything you do, you ask, does this bring further glory to God? It is faithfully keeping covenant with the Lord with joy and not compunction or compulsion. You keep his commands. Not only is there meant to be a warm heart and spiritual affections, but there is to be a sense of belonging that these are the house rules. And the house rules are, I am the Lord your God who led you out of the house of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, so on and so on. His law is the foundation for a whole, happy, and holy life. Young people, if you want to be happy, stop worrying about what your friends think and ask yourself, what does God think? It's often the manner that men go about throwing off constraint, and when they do that, they say, I am my own man. But what does Christ say? I came to do the will of my heavenly Father. When you cast off divine law, you make yourself a law. And that is a path to misery for obvious reasons, which is why those who rebel the most are the loudest in their rebellion, because they know. They know. They know what they are doing, but the only way to survive is by turning the volume up. So what do you do as a church? Do you do this when you're at a stop sign and somebody turns their music up real loud? You know what I do? Roll my windows and crank that music up. I can play. Two can play at that game. And I just look over and go, what's that? This is what the church in the West has done in response to a world cranking up the volume. Oh, oh, we're sorry. We're sorry. We'll turn the volume down. We didn't mean to interrupt your love feasts, your blood rituals. No, you go, mm, sing the Psalms. <laughs> Crank it up. Be loud. Because the law of the, good, of the, law of the Lord, is, uh, Psalm 19 says, is perfect. It converts the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right and rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. 
The fear of the Lord is clean. It endures forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweet, sweeter even than honey of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. What part in Psalm 19 says, it'll make your life hard. It'll make your friends abandon. Well, if they abandon you, so be it. If God is for us, who can be against us? As the psalmist is writing Psalm 19, what he is doing is he is causing you to see the goodness of the law of God, to fear God, and to keep his commandments. Because the ultimate principle of the law is this. We are made for it. I'll give you one more illustration in closing. Whenever you order some kind of equipment, like, say, gym equipment or like a bicycle, if the company is on their game, they not only send you the thing that you have to assemble, but they give you a toolkit. Maybe you've seen these. It's a piece of cardboard with all the tools and with plastic shrink-wrapped over the top of it, and you've got to rip all the pieces out. But every tool that you need to build that thing is right there. That is life, and that is the law. That is scripture, and that is how to do your life. God has made you, and he has given you the means by which you can establish a well-put-together life. What the world wants to say is, I don't want to be a bicycle. I want to be a boat. And I'm not going to use the toolkit you gave me, God. I'm going to use just a hammer or X tool. And so what you see all around you are not bicycles, but boats on concrete. And people are wondering, why will it not go? What is wrong? Maybe I should go see my counselor. And maybe he, as he goes to his office in a boat, can tell me how to drive my boat on the road. This is the, it's obscene, it's, it's silly. It's not always silly, sometimes it's very sad. Much of the problem that men face is they're not willing to build the thing that God has made them to be and to use the means by which to build that thing. They reject the end and they reject the means. And Solomon says this, what is the end? To be a God-fearer. What is the means? To receive all of God's revelation. Because the only thing that will save us from the judgment that is to come is not perfect wisdom. There is no perfect life. But it is to embrace all of God's revelation which culminates in the revelation of Jesus Christ himself, who is the wisdom of God revealed against ungodliness. It begins by looking at Christ and saying, you show me how to be. You teach me. Because that is the only way that we will ever survive this. Everything you've ever done, if it is done apart from Christ, will be held against you. Whoa. Shudder to think. That is not film that I ever want to see. Do you know what I mean? But in Christ, Psalm 103, where's the film? The film's been lost, the film's forgotten. All have been covered in Christ. And so what Solomon is doing 
is he is preparing the people of God to receive the manifold richness and the wisdom of God that is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The wisdom of God revealed against ungodliness. And the way in which we live for the well done is we begin by embracing Christ and then living for him. Let's pray.